They say knowledge is power, though that's only true if you take what you have learned and act on it. We, the creators and listeners of Art of Power, we are not just in the business of learning. We are in the business of learning in order to do. And so, to come full circle, to close the loop, we have decided to make this final episode of the season a format breaker. Instead of giving you a new interview, we wanted to give you a personal challenge, an opportunity to take stock, to internalize lessons learned, and make a commitment. What am I doing or going to do to fix this broken world? Power is organized people and organized money. (laughs) It's not that complicated, right? Bravery is our baseline if we choose it to be. And I think it's better to choose bravery as our baseline before we're forced, forced to have bravery as our baseline. You cannot take from me what is mine. Nobody has the power to do that. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today, our season finale. After speaking with about 30 extraordinary guests, we look back and apply power lessons to our own lives. To help you turn the lens inward, we do the same. I speak with my production team about moments in the show that really landed for them. I revisit a couple of guests who helped me see my own intentions more clearly. And in the spirit of practicing what we preach, I tell you a commitment I am making that may go very, very badly. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear you. I asked my producers to sit down with me and debrief the season. There are five of us total. I wanted everyone to share lessons, moments they just could not shake off. Do you have a blanket over yourself? Yes. <laughs> Let's take it off. It's cold out here. Oh, I'm from California, y'all. Come on. We're both in California, girl. <laughs> We're starting our group Zoom at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Most of the team is in Chicago, but Paloma Moreno Jimenez and I are in California. She's a student in her last year at Stanford University, and I'm a morning person. Shall we? Uh, well, how do you want to play, Alfie? Do you want to just go kind of go around the room? Yeah, why don't we do like round robin? I don't. Really Our executive producer Kevin Dawson. I didn't mind starting. I'll go in first. Do it. Um, Kevin recalled my conversation with the creator of the hit TV series Queer Eye, where he says, "Follow your bliss," and um, I just I loved it, um, but it also made me sort of sit up and think. To recap, Queer Eye creator David Collins went to a wine and cheese party where he saw a woman berating her husband for his lack of fashion sense. Literally saying to him, look at you. Why do you dress like this? Come on. Seriously, your hair's a mess. Why can't you be like them? (laughs) 
them was a group of gay men across the room. They come over and start grooming the husband, tucking in his shirt, fixing his hair. David, watching with his partner Michael, was in awe. The room has gone dead silent. I turned to Michael, kind of without missing a beat, and I was like, did you see that? Like, really, did you see that? That was like queer eye for the straight guy. No way. Really? Those words just rolled off they your tongue? Rolled really? out of my tongue. And and to this day, mm. um, as they came out of my mouth, I I felt like all the hairs on my body stand on end. I got goosebumps. It, it was it was nothing short of otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I believe in my spiritual self, uh, God chose a moment to show something to me because I was meant to be a vessel. God needed a voice to, to tell this story. Hearing him say that just reminded me what it was like really getting an idea and running with it and that inspiring you to have the energy to do sort of really great artistic creative work. I've heard myself say to people over the years trying to get like a foothold in this industry which is difficult to get into and they're like I don't know what to what story to tell and it's like well what do you what are you passionate about because that is the story you are going to tell the best which is exactly what David Collins did in that moment. And then he followed it through and it changed his life and changed the life of lots of people. Next. (laughs) I could go next. Um, All right. So I think... This is Hina Srivastava, founding intern at Art of Power. She is so good that WBEZ had the great sense to hire her as a full-blown producer, straight out of school, Northwestern journalism. And a moment that stuck with Hina comes from Robin Arzon, the head instructor at global fitness behemoth Peloton. Specifically, there's this part where she says... I have ritualized discomfort in my life so consistently. I have ritualized discomfort in my life so consistently. Literally every day I get physically uncomfortable. Um, There are many, many workouts every single week that I'm nervous to do. Mm -hmm. And I love those moments. I seek out those moments. Invite the discomfort in as a friend and interrogate that discomfort as you would a guest. I feel like like you have a level of faith maybe that that makes it possible for you to push yourself so hard. I don't think it's that uncommon. I like the idea of elevating everyday heroes, normalizing everyday amazing, incredible, fantastic gobsmacking achievements. And they don't have to be like, so-and-so was pulled from a burning building. I mean, of course, that's heroic. But what if it's the bravery to ask for a raise? What if it's the bravery to create a boundary around a toxic situation? Mm -hmm. Bravery is our baseline if we choose it to be. And I think it's better to choose bravery as our baseline before we're forced, forced to have bravery as our baseline. And I remember being in the interview and I don't even know 
lie, but I actually shed a single tear in this moment. Hmm. I just loved the idea about the inevitability of life that there's going to be so much discomfort sometimes, that there's going to be pain at some moments. And Robin Rizone has a take where she, like, actually invites it in and celebrates it as, like, a place where you will grow. And I think, like, that's something that I've been actively more trying to implement in my life a little bit more. Invite the discomfort in as a friend. Like, be curious about the limits to your body. Like, be curious about how much discomfort that you're able to take. And I feel like that's a really good motivating factor of pushing progress forward. Hina, that, if I can jump in real quick. That reminds me of a quote um, that I have actually right there in my room. That mellifluous voice is again Paloma, chiming in from California. Um, and it's by Erica Vadu. And it says, when she is truly present and can see her true self clearly, she realizes that the very need for joy dissolves along with the need to resist pain. She replaces them with humility, for she now trusts the natural flow of life. She becomes one with all. Damn, Erica Badu. <laughs> I know what common means. Yeah. <laughs> so out of all people. <laughs> That's so good. Do you see your true self clearly? What moments in life do you happen to be in right now? Some moments are meant to be hard-charging, others are not. Where are you? Why do you do what you do? What is the motivation behind your boldest moves? So many forces, from fear to keeping up with the Joneses, obfuscate vision, pummel us like thrashing waves at the shore. Other forces like love and growth, can push us towards greatness. When we started this show, I wanted guests who would help me figure out my next steps in XYZ, some outward, distant point in the future. But unexpectedly, my favorite moments have probably been the ones that have helped me see my own past more clearly. Recall Fred Swanaker, the social entrepreneur from Ghana, who's building leadership schools to train millions of Africans. He had some counterintuitive advice. All of us go through several moments in our life, sometimes several moments in a day even, where we have what, what I call a moment of obligation. A sense of outrage that you see in the world, some injustice that you want to just solve. But I believe that 99% of the time you need to ignore that calling because it's not your purpose in life. Ignore the many, many, many things that may tug at you from the outside. And instead, he says, commit to things that have uniquely personal meaning. He has this three-pronged formula for how he decides to make commitments. One, is the problem you're aiming to solve big enough? If it's not big enough, you won't be motivated to see it through. Two, does it pass the sleepless nights test? Like, you can't sleep because you're obsessing. And three, are you uniquely positioned more than anyone else to do the thing? Listen to the facts of your life and say, what is this uniquely preparing me to do? And then when you start to see the patterns, you say, wow, I'm uniquely positioned to do this better than almost anyone else in the world. And that is your destiny. And if someone is listening to this 
and they've only got two out of three. Yeah. Or one out of three. Does that mean, what does that mean? It means just keep living your life. Just keep doing what you're doing because it's part of the, the process. Art of Power checked the three boxes for me, not as a standalone piece of work, but as core to a body of work I've been developing for the last few years. In 2019, I did something bold that at the time, I did not quite understand why I was doing it. NPR's Arthi Shahani reports on today's hearing before If the you'd Senate heard debate. my voice before this podcast... NPR's Arthi Shahani has the story. It was most likely as... America's favorite Indian IT lady. Arthi Shahani. Hey there, Arthi. Hi. Not the official job title. I was NPR's Silicon Valley correspondent, leading the network's coverage of big tech, the epicenter of global power, important and intellectually stimulating stuff. But I felt this increasingly painful dissonance between my public voice and my true self. Funny thing happened. My sources, NPR listeners whom I would meet at events, they assumed Indian IT lady. She must come from one of those engineer or doctor families. She must be one of those model minorities, those good immigrants. Probably her greatest conflict in life was growing up brown in a white suburb. The reality is that I grew up undocumented in a working class and majority minority neighborhood, Queens, New York. My greatest conflict was that at age 16, my father was arrested. His case took many twists and turns. And after I finally overcame the shame of it, I decided to stop going to college in order to mount a legal and political defense for dad to fight his case to keep him in this country. I fought until I was 30 years old. And only after winning did I pivot to mainstream journalist at leading news outlet, aka your IT lady. I developed this burning, visceral need to tell my truth. So in 2019, with the publishing house Macmillan, I released my first book, here We Are, A Migrant uh, Memoir. Here We Are, American Dreams, American Nightmares. That is a great title for a book. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It felt urgent, especially in Trump's America, for me as a first-generation migrant with a platform to explain what the experience is actually like, what it took, the extreme ups and downs, prisons, deportation, poverty, family infighting. It was cathartic. My colleague Steve Inskeep and I both choked up on Morning Edition, talking about my father's struggles. After the way he was treated in the United States, what do you think made him want to die here? What made this home? Take your time. You ask that, and it just reminds me that... Um, it's okay. Yeah. That in many ways, I mean, this book, yes, it's in part, you know, a case study and plea to my fellow citizens. Hey, look at this immigrant family story and think about what we're doing to this country. But it's also, I mean, this book is a eulogy for my father. Before journalism, I was a community organizer for a decade. A fact I felt the need to hide in the newsroom because some colleagues expressed 
deep disdain for activist types. My colleague Michelle Martin, interviewing me on TV, made it safe for me as a journalist of color with working-class roots to talk about my past. Because you didn't just let it go. You did not let it go. You basically... I don't know how to put this. You became an immigration activist. You became kind of a um, a jailhouse lawyer isn't quite right, but you really educated yourself. About yeah. <laughs> now, back to Fred Swanaker's three-prong test. I knew that obviously no one else could write my memoir but me. The facts of my life brought me to it. And I knew I had many, many sleepless nights over it. But as for bigness, I was really lost on that. I mean, a lot of us want to tell our stories. How do you know if it's big? I could not answer that until a year and a half later, I met a guest on this show. So it is a relatively new show, right? It is. You're like the seventh or eighth episode, I think. Glad to be in on the ground floor. I'm not going to lie. I love this fact. Barack Hussein Obama, guest number eight on brand new leadership show hosted by Brown Woman. I felt my bicep bulge. And I got some much-needed clarity, specifically when I asked Obama what he has learned about power that he wishes his younger self knew. You know, when I was an organizer, we used to say, this is sort of a standard organizing credo, um, power is organized people and organized money. It's (laughs) it's not that complicated, right? Mm -hmm. What I would say is more important than we, I think, give credit to is the power of stories Hmm. because it's stories that organize people and it's stories that organize money. The stories we tell about what's important, the stories that we tell about who we are, Mm -hmm. where we're from, the stories we tell about uh, what's right and what's wrong, Hmm. you know, That has enormous power. As we spoke, I quietly thought about a line I'd written in my memoir. It goes more or less like this. To migrate, in my family's case, to America, is the boldest act of one's life. You do it to be the hero of your own story. Only God must have a sense of humor because, as every migrant knows, you cannot cross over and stand proud. You have to be invisible. Invisible heroes. That was my parents in a nutshell. Obama helped me to see that my intention, the big thing I aim to do, is create a narrative shift. In the case of migrants, to help my fellow citizens, journalists, lawmakers, stop turning the heroes into villains, to create policies and a culture that honors the newcomer and our contributions. I'm nowhere near done with that journey, but I see the path now. What path are you already on? What facts of your life brought you here? Don't push your truth away. Listen. After the break, our team returns, and I make a pretty big announcement. What? <laughs> is, this, is this what I think this is? Wait. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani.
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, I can go ahead now. Again, this is Paloma Moreno-Jimenez, our intern. Um, so for me, one of the lessons that stuck out the most was Tarana Burke. Tarana Burke, a founder of the Me Too movement, talked about how she was afraid when the phrase she had created to connect survivors in intimate workshops went viral as the hashtag MeToo on Twitter. She talks about being overwhelmed by the visibility of the Me Too movement um, when she said, I realize this is what we do. I realize that this is what we do generally, right? We will diminish our own power. We will relinquish our own power. And so when the people say to me, white women uh, co-opted your movement, I said, you cannot take from me what is mine. You cannot remove my assignment from me. That's nobody has the power to do that. This is the thing that I was given. This is the place that I, where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just trying to do my work. Your relationships from survivors haven't been severed. Your decades of understanding this journey. None of that has changed. There are, there are definitely challenges that I've, that I've um, encountered in the last four years without question. Um, But just like I've encountered sort of challenges that I never thought I would have, I've also tapped into a a power, if you will, that I didn't realize that I had. Mm -hmm. I did not see myself as being able to impact Mm -hmm. a pop culture narrative before. And I didn't also understand how important that was. I didn't allow myself to, to add that kind of work to my vision for the movement because I just didn't think it was possible. Now you have... I don't have limits. Yeah. Even if if it all went away tomorrow, the thing that I would carry with me is that I do not have limits except for the ones I put on myself. For various layers of my life that really stuck out to me, one, being a woman color, two, like just being raised in an immigrant household, um, being taught to kind of just get by and like not make too much noise, um, but do your work, finish, complete it well, um, and move on. Was there a specific moment it reminded you of in your own life? Many moments, like, well, one I can think of is college because it was the first time I attended like a very white and wealthy institution um and like being in classrooms with students who are like part of the 10 percent is just insane like you mean the point 10 percent yeah (laughs) it's wild like the entitlement it's It's just they come into that room with so much confidence and like, this is my territory. And so a lot of the women of color we've interviewed have have really inspired me because it's like a journey of like, I felt that and then I learned to grasp my power and really take a hold of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. It's that double, I have to strive to be excellent and I have to remind myself Mm. that this is my place too. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. One of the episodes that hit for me in a lot of ways uh, was the one with Kent Powers. Last but not least, you're hearing from Justin Bull, our lead producer. Justin really related to Kemp Powers, the man who co-wrote and directed the Pixar film Soul. Kemp also wrote One Night in Miami. And he kind of came to creative writing later in life, and no one in his life thought that he could be a creative writer, uh, so much so that his colleagues laughed in his face. I remember at a certain point when I'd been doing a lot of my writing and it had been getting a lot of notice and I was still, of course, you know, a journalist. Um, and I said to one of my coworkers that like, oh, I'm on a bit of like a general news beat. And I was like, I don't really think I should be covering anything in entertainment anymore. I said, I think I should focus on hard news and politics. And they were like, well, why? And I was like, well, it kind of feels like it might become a conflict of interest because, you know, I'm writing. Mm. <laughs> and, they, and they like laughed in my face. They were like, your writing will never be a conflict of interest for you working at a news organization. Oh, my God. Yeah. like What haters? Yes. <laughs> the negativity is a boulder. And it's coming from, you know, you're in creative arts is competitive. So you have people who are passive aggressively competitive who are like trying to take your knees out from under you. You have your, <laughs> your co-workers who think you're an idiot. You have your family who both love you and support you. But also, like, oh, man, a bird in the hand is worth yeah. two in the bush. Yeah, you should, yeah. you feel like a crazy person. When you're getting hate from your coworkers who are basically explicitly or implicitly saying, man, you don't have what it takes. You can't do this thing. What do you say to yourself to keep going? If I'm being perfectly honest, mm-hmm. um... I'm saying, fuck you. (laughs) I've been thinking about that ever since he's (laughs) said it to us. Uh, Because, I don't know, haters, man. He had some haters in his life. And, like, the obvious lesson is don't listen to them. Uh, Or, in reverse of that, do listen to them and use that as motivation to be a badass. Sometimes art of power guests make me think about the everyday little things. Take Margaret Cho. She made me start to wonder if I give too much deference to white male leaders in my life, like my executive producer, Kevin Dawson. You know, it's... um. I feel like the interview with Margaret Cho taught me to continuously have a skeptical eye towards everything Kevin tells me. <laughs> it's just because she trusted the wrong white guy. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought like, oh, because I'm going to television, this has to be a whole new world that I have to use these interpreters somehow that I couldn't speak the language of executives and that I needed somebody, uh, male, cis, white, to guide me. But one of them ended up um, murdering his wife and putting her in the closet for a month until she had partially mummified. My God. 
the people I was putting my trust in were people like that were literal murderers. Right. Not figurative, not metaphorical, <laughs> literal <laughs> murderers. Just like literally, I was like, I don't think Kevin's a murderer at all. <laughs> like, I don't. But like, do I give him that deference? And I am positive. Like, I want to say, like, nah, I'm a strong woman of color. Rawr. I want to say, like, like, no, I I know I have. And it's, like, literally the deference you give an older white male. And it's just, it was so funny because I was like, my power lesson, distrust my executive producer. <laughs> no, but what a great thing to carry, you know? He doesn't need to, like, dominate and become, you know, but actually to have that, I imagine will will add a level of depth to how you consider sort of working relationships, which is going to be no bad thing. But you felt that too? From that interview? Yeah. Um, no, I felt a little bit like the murderer, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of our spirited debrief... I take a deep breath and get ready to tell my team something I have kept hidden for a few months now. Many of the women listening will completely understand. What I'm about to do may be one of those small moments of bravery that Hina and Peloton's Robin Arzone talk about. Okay, I'm just going to send something. Do you guys have access to your Slack cha- entire Slack channel while we're talking? Is it on your desktop? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just wanted to... <laughs> What? <laughs> Wait. Is this, is this what I think this is? <laughs> this is audio, folks. Someone say what's happening. I believe we're looking at a sonogram, uh, and it says Arthi Shahani in the top left corner. <laughs> oh, my Congratulations. God. Uh-huh. <laughs> Baby Arthi. It's been a very productive <laughs> season. <laughs> oh, God. You were, you had that pun in your back pocket for so long. You had to. Oh, my God. You know I work God. on this. <laughs> no wonder you want to do the new season early next year. You got it. <laughs> yeah, if we could just do it nine, nine months' time, that'd be marvellous. <laughs> yes, oh, congratulations. Hey. The baby is not the announcement. That commitment I had mentioned at the top of the show that could go very, very badly. At least I hope it's not. The commitment, dear listeners, is this. I have decided to write my second book. Now that I am finally done with morning sickness, which was awful, my goal is to vomit out a complete manuscript in three months. It doesn't have to be perfect. It won't be. But the folks I have interviewed on this show, they have given me courage. They are a reminder. Crazier things have happened. And I need to do this. Now, what are you doing or going to do to fix this broken world? See yourself clearly and answer that question. 
Mark those calendars. Season two of Art of Power will start in February 2022. While we're off, we do have a special bonus episode in store. Come by mid-November to hear my sweeping conversation with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and activist Nicole Hannah-Jones. This episode of Art of Power was produced by the folks you finally met today. Star producers Justin Bull, Paloma Moreno-Jimenez, Hina Srivastava, executive producer Kevin Dawson, and I'm your host, Arthi Shahani. You can sign up for the Art of Power newsletter, wbez.org slash AOP newsletter. In the off-season, we will still be getting you exclusive offers and invites. If you have enjoyed the season, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We're getting a lot of love there. Would be great to hear your voice as well. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.